0: The Telegraph.
1: Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official
2: timekeeper of the Premier League.
3: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club today. Are Liverpool better at handling pressure than last season, or just highly fortunate? Spurs suffer further injury setbacks beside the Thames, and Wolverhampton Wanderers, well, wonderful really wonderful plus why Maurizio Sarri suffered for his stubbornness against Arsenal is his philosophy preventing them from winning these games and what did he smell of afterwards we also find some time to discuss Marcelo Bielsa and Spygate which leads to an excellent story of espionage from detective Matt Law let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by returning hero Matt Law two weeks off Matt how have you spent them
1: um, I can't remember what I did. Can't remember why I was oh, I was seeing Frank Lampard this time last week. Can't remember what I was doing the week before.
3: Some sort of press conference, yeah. I imagine.
1: It feels a bit like when you've been off from school and you come back and you've forgotten how to write <laughs> today, I've forgotten how to talk.
0: Were you properly. on holiday or were you doing work? Well?
1: I was definitely working last week. Like I say, I can't remember a lot before then. Interesting. Awol, the ever inquisitive
3: Mina Razuki joins us as well. How are you, Mina?
0: Oh, I'm good. I'm a little bit hot inside this little studio. It's,
3: it's better to be a little bit hot than absolutely exhausted, as you were last week. There, yes,
0: right? much, much. You well, know? actually, I don't know. I prefer exhausted to heated.
3: Oh, okay. Well, let's let's see how I'm that gonna. progresses <laughs> as the uh, as the podcast uh, progresses. JJ Bull
2: completes the lineup. What's happening, JJ? Uh, I'm I'm good. Yes. Not the, not the answer to the question you asked. Weekend out of ten? But I was prepared. It was a good weekend. I watched all the football. Out of it was, ten, JJ. Out of ten, let's give it an eight, seven.
3: Good, good. you can't. Do it. World without sevens. Get off the fence. Okay. Back your original eight. Sure. Good, good.
0: You watched all the football?
3: Yes. A good weekend to watch all the football because there were two 4-3s on Saturday which, which feels almost unheard of. Shall we start with Liverpool. Do we think they're this swashbuckling team that's seeing off teams 4-3, free scoring, conceding a bit at the back? Or are they the outfit who can uh, who can shut up shop and, and beat Brighton narrowly 1-0? Will, will the real Liverpool please stand up?
2: They're a bit of both, aren't they? They've, uh, as we've said numerous times, they've managed to balance the all-out attack with managing games a lot better this season. I think they got a little bit lucky against Palace. Mm. For sure, um, I feel like I know.
0: we say that all the time. I know, but they've got this
2: thing where they are—they're not playing badly per se, but teams against them are a bit fearful, and I think that causes errors in defence that like, you see sometimes. I remember like the old Man United used to not play very well, and they just win because teams had given them a goal basically before they turned up because they knew they were going to get torn apart. But you saw that there was a couple of big mistakes that Palace made that gave them goals. Um, XG wise, it was actually pretty close they would have without those two big chances would have been probably level and uh, I mean they're just doing I think their reputation precedes them
3: Is that sense of luckiness why they're going to win the league Mina?
0: Um I think it's their ability to dig deep and actually get the goals. And, well, I would have said usually they're well organized defensively. that didn't happen this time around. Um, but I do think it's that so far that they're keeping up despite the pressure. Then They know how to battle it out and get the points. I think this is what stands them in good stead going forward. I do think they're more composed. I do think a swashbuckling side don't end up winning trophies. So this looks like a more... Um, let's say, a, ga- a, a, a team that knows how to manage the game a bit better. Although it worries me a little that a team that is organised defensively and knows how to counter-attack in the way that Palace were could cause so many problems for Liverpool. Um, because, incidentally, this is the kind of team that you know Klopp had under, uh, with Dortmund and sort of what he wanted with Liverpool. They just didn't have a very well-organised defence last season. So there are... M- mistakes there I do think that they they do get lucky a lot but it's a little bit like do you remember when Chelsea won the Champions League it was like luck all the way till the end
1: the yeah. uh the right back thing could become a little bit of an issue for them um Milner got exposed there and obviously then got sent off so he's going to miss a game and obviously I think Trent Alexander's still out for about a month mm-hmm. um Joe Gomez who can play there's been out so that could throw They've been so good defensively and that, that looked to me as though it would thrown it all out of kilter a little bit against Palace and that could be something that opponents target. I, I think they'll, I know people are now looking through the fixture list between Liverpool and Man City and kind of saying Liverpool have got a better fixture list than City but we get in, we're starting to get towards the stage of the season once you get to kind of mid-February where the fix just doesn't really matter.
3: It always strikes me as weird putting too much faith in that because the teams at the bottom obviously want to
1: win more. Yeah, and yeah. Weird, weird stuff always weird happens Weird stuff happens because the pressure April. grows and you just don't know what's going to happen. So I, I, I personally still think it's really, really up in the air and that they're going to have other games where you expect them to go and win easily where it it's all gets a little bit difficult and odd for them and it's whether they can just either get lucky or ride them through.
3: What about Palace? Played Julian Spironi on Sunday. <laughs> Clearly a club legend, thirty nine years old, though had not played his own for ages. wine,
1: Speroni wine. Has
3: did have a restaurant as well, I believe. Yeah, uh, Speroni's. I think which, he uh, should
0: just stick to that side of the business. <laughs>
3: You've got to feel a bit sorry for him. Why yeah. would why would they put why would they track him in and not, you know, potentially one of the one of the younger goalkeepers. I, I, I
1: passed past their first two choice goalkeepers, I actually don't know what they've got below that, so I couldn't. Uh, tell you with any great authority of what their choices were. Um I felt a little bit sorry for him. He was clearly badly at fault uh for that sort of mil- Milner stroke salar goal. Um but I thought Palace was really you good. I mean for him. I just feel so he he's come in and tried to do a job he hasn't played for ages, he's thirty nine and you know, it's difficult. it got gotta be difficult, hasn't it? Um against Liverpool, Anfield as well. Um I thought Palace were good, though. That goal, the Andros Townsend goal they scored, the way they uh, got round Liverpool's press, I would imagine had uh, JJ Puri. <laughs> lovely
3: it, moment it from did. Sacco as well, wasn't it? Who, yeah. uh, who did a lovely little kind of back heel flick in his own area.
2: Um, I thought uh, the way McArthur kept it under pressure, that's exactly why you do it. Because you can turn that... Because Liverpool had about, I think, seven players... Right around them. well you are not screaming at him to get rid of it? I was watching Match of the Day. No, get rid because you know if you, just, if you can just get that like one two out of there, that's you. That's you at them. I love that. It was ace It's
1: the classic. I mean, that is the classic sort of uh, decision you take with that whole style of football, isn't it? Because that could have so easily led to a Liverpool goal. And yet, in actual fact, it was the only way that the Palace were going to get out and and score a goal of their own. And if you just hit it,
2: so if they'd scored, if Liverpool scored from winning the turnover up there, then all pundits would be going, oh, he needs to just kick it, get rid, he's understanding this football more straight away. But that's the risk. Then you wouldn't
1: get a chance of your own to score. Exactly,
0: yeah. What annoys me about Palace is that they actually have a really good side. Um, I think they're fun to watch as well. And and they do make if they can just eradicate these types of defensive mistakes that they have. Also Firmino's goal, like why were they why was he allowed all the space and time to, to react? I don't understand these little mistakes are just robbing them of all the points that they deserve for their style of play and for the talent that they have within the team. And I feel sorry because like Wilfred Zaha is such a good player that when he's on there I feel like he should always be on the winning side. And I just it's just those two or three mistakes they make in each game that just is taking away points because in all honesty with the way they played i feel like they should have at least deserved one point yeah not
1: helped by the officials either were they i'm always pleased when james tompkins does something good as well extremely extremely nice man very handsome for a defender too
0: <laughs> i like how james for miller was defender. defenders to usually ugly
2: more ugly i'd say than other players it's because they're hard you can't, you can't be a pretty bad Cannavaro disagrees with you. <laughs> James Milner was putting in horrible tackles and Zaha. Uh, you've got to yeah. love the, the, yeah. just walk, the sort of tackle and the walking off because you know you're about to get set <laughs> yeah. off in
3: one movement. That was. Uh, it takes experience to pull that off with I a ball. I think palm.
2: with that um, thing you're saying about Firmino, I think that, that, I'm not sure that's a pal's mistake per se because they're defended in lines rather than um, just following people around and his movement is so good that he got in that little space. For that the goal where he tucks it okay, in. Okay, but you see,
0: this guy comes out and no one goes in to stop him because what they're keeping the nine
2: Yeah, because then it, it means that he, sh- he should be able to block the shot, and they did, but it went into the goal. <coughs> so, you can so, trust so basically,
0: the they only know how to follow instructions and no one knows how to think on their own.
2: No, if someone leaves, then it means you leave a gap, so that means you can score someone else. So, say someone steps out of the defence to go and go close to him to stop the shot, and they leave the centre back but it means that someone could run in behind, and that's what Liverpool are really good at. So, if you keep your shape, you're probably better at I think. Um, Stopping them from scoring so much because if you if you abandon your position to try and chase someone down, that's sort of what Liverpool want because then they get space to thread a ball in behind. Have you two been arguing while I've been away? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, <Without> no. <laughs> but with this one, I don't understand when you're just following instructions and the guy gets into a pocket of space and you're like, well, we have to stay in our position, so you know, let's just keep doing that. And this guy is just allowed to, and it's Wilfred Zaha.
2: But it's the whole, the whole.
0: No, sorry, it's it's Firmino. I'm yeah.
2: Sorry. The whole line should move up in in, in that sort of case. So it's the whole team, but you can't go over the others, don't so and, and, also, and they did block the shot. It just went into the goal. That's the problem. So actually, it sort of, I don't know it sounds stupid, but it did actually work <laughs> <The> defending. <laughs> okay. Just with an unfortunate,
3: unfortunate outcome. The score at Anfield repeated the trick which we saw at Molyneux earlier on Saturday. Uh, Wolves beating Leicester 4 3. Nino Espirito Santo sent to the stands for coming onto the pitch and celebrating. I don't remember a similar punishment for Jurgen Klopp, though, in the uh, Merseyside Derby. That's
1: probably why he did, though, isn't it? The ref probably got told, because it's the same referee. Ah. And he probably got told, you should have have done that. He didn't even come on particularly aggressively. He just came on to sort of give a little cuddle and walk off. If he'd have come, like, fist-pumping,
2: then... I think he he regretted it halfway through, but he'd already committed. So you have to keep going.
1: Because
2: yeah. then he gets to the player, and all his players are going away, and he he yeah. looks down and he, and he hugs him. And he must it be felt lo- quite half-hearted. Like, Dad? <laughs>
1: yeah, it wasn't like a race on, was it? It was quite half-hearted little trot. Yeah.
3: Wolves doing incredibly well. They were we expected great things from them, Have they exceeded your expectations, Mina.
0: No. Oh. Um, <laughs> sorry. Well, only reason being is that, like, I, I've i always been a huge fan of Nuno Espirito Santo. I always know that this is how his side play football. The only issue I've ever had with him is that teams tend to tire at the second half of the season or as the match progresses, if because it's such an exhaustive type of football. It's a kind of football that you can play with a team like Wolves, one that's not um, playing on several different fronts but they're always going to be an energetic side they're always going to be one that does better against the big teams because of the spaces available to them uh, when you look at that side and you look at the fact that they do have Khota and Ruben Neves in midfield and Jimenez as well it's a team with a lot of technical players who love to who understand uh space and how to deliver accuracy into that space and have players run onto it um so with that type of thing they do they and, and again they deserve to be higher up but they they have those moments where they do make mistakes they do tire out there's only so much running and intensity that you can demand from a side um, but yeah a hat trick for hoda
1: it was fun wasn't it, it Did you know that gif with the the two Spider-Man facing off against each other <laughs> Wolves v. Leicester reminded me of that. Oh, they
2: call it Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, the plural of Spider-Man.
1: <laughs> um, Batman. Leicester, it was like watching Leicester's title-winning team versus Leicester now, because Wolves <laughs> just remind me so much of that Leicester title-winning team, the way they counter-attack. And Ruben Neves is like a much better version of kind of Danny Drinkwater hitting the spaces. And that's why. Is, it, doing wild, doing like, is, is it wild to, that to exactly. say that this Wolves team is better than that Leicester team was? Well, it? no, because Leicester won the league. They're probably what? more, they probably are technically better and it's not the even worth getting into that debate. There.
0: The competition is different. They yeah, it's Leicester all just have different. That.
1: But they remind me so much of them, the way they play. And yeah. seeing There's the so two against each other just made, me,
3: it just made me smile. Well, under even more pressure now, JJ, Leicester's next three are Liverpool, Man United, Spurs. Do you think he survives that run?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's a real weird one because, as we said, he's done very well at playing all the young players which I think should be commended for, but he is paying the price for the mistakes. You see it clearly in the game management of that game. The last goal that Wolves scored was roughly the same as two of the other ones, just a counter-attack because the Leicester were too open. Um, ben Chilwell, who's been great, was too far forward. He's caught out of position. It's um, little errors that you shouldn't make at that level, and you don't when you're more experienced. But how are they going to get more experience unless they play?
0: So do you think, out of curiosity, that it's the player's fault because there are loads of lapses of concentration or do you think it's the fact that it's a weird decision to play a high line? I don't... Even th- after Wolves changed and started really playing...
2: I don't know because I'm not sure how high the line's meant to be. They were sort of deep but they were they were trying to go for the... Because you, when you're 4-3 game you sort of lose your heads a bit. You can't... You can't help it, I think. You just you just want to go for the winner. And it's 3-all. So Leicester had just had been up the other end and almost scored and then they get torn apart because by going for that goal... You see, some experienced teams would think right, it's, uh, we're away from home, it's 3 all. let's just take the point, we'll close up shop we'll not send anyone forward and do that but then if they win, if they go forward and take the chance to get the win, then suddenly he's a genius for letting them go forward I think the player's individual, it's individual errors things like Damari Gray, is a great player on the ball but off it, he doesn't go in quite as hard to some like, headers or little challenges yeah. and then the ball runs loose and there's a turnover and then Wolves counterattack. that happened a few times Yeah. Um, you saw, uh, what's his name uh, Harvey Barnes was playing, He he was good, the youngster came in back mm. from loan, and he was playing. He had a decent game, but a few passes were just given straight to opposition players. He probably won't do that in a couple of weeks, but he did there. And that, again, gives um, Wolves a chance to counter-attack against them.
1: Every time Puyall's on the brink, though, he goes and pulls off a... <laughs> I mean, he was about to get sacked before that. I think they had like a run of games where they played Everton and Man City. And obviously, they're going to beat Everton and Man City. And it seems that every time he's, we think he's about to get sacked and they've got, on paper, very difficult games, they go and get a couple of results so. I read a thing
2: that John Parsi wrote it said that um, a, the training isn't very intense apparently and they do overly long sessions on Fridays and the players don't enjoy that <laughs> don't know if
3: few players do I imagine uh, well we look forward to the nine points they're going to get from Liverpool, Manchester United <laughs> and Spurs uh, Arsenal-Chelsea on Saturday evening it was 2-0 to the home side Maurizio Sarri afterwards really going for his Chelsea players does that ever work out well?
0: yes Sorry. Oh. I mean, it's worked out. It depends, right? I mean, sadly, choosing to do that on this occasion was, in my opinion, s- silly on his behalf. Because really, he needs to also take some responsibility for what he's decided to do. Playing the likes of Hazard and he, as a false number nine, it's obviously not working. There was no one in the box ever. But it's worked before because Antonio Conte had to go at his players at the time before they won on that terrific run. Although, to be fair, they did also change the tactics because he did also take responsibility for his um, reading of the game. I think that it's worked for Jose Mourinho before. At least he did with Inter at times. Um, I just think you have to be careful as to when you pull out that card. So you pull it out when you genuinely do believe you're being a little bit let down by your players, but not on every occasion and certainly not when you're playing two of your finest players in in positions that don't bring out the best in them.
3: What's the mood at Chelsea, mate? You you were there on Saturday. How angry did Sarri seem?
1: Very angry. He stank of fags as well. (laughs) I, I had to stand next to him when we do our little separate Monday huddle and he absolutely reeked of fags where it was actually quite uncomfortable to be next to him. So it, it clearly stressed him out quite a lot, that performance. He was chewing a
2: cigarette <laughs> towards the end of that game as yeah, well. Yeah, he him. does it
1: all game. Um, what I would say is a bit different, or what I think would be a bit different, between why Conte got away with having go at his players that time after that Arsenal defeat. is obviously changed formation, but he also chucked out Ivanovic and Luis from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was part... He Then the players he brought in... Uh, Victor Moses and Christensen were very much sort of on his side and grateful to be in the team. The problem Sarri's got is he's battering these players, and yet he's also saying he's clearly not going to change the team at all. Oh, I know. So it's players he's going to rely on. He's not going to bring anyone else in. Um, Chelsea players don't have a history of responding well <laughs> to this kind of um yeah. message player power so, fc the the Sarri, has gone a little bit strange in recent weeks i mean we had a we've had successive press conferences now where odd things have happened he came out a few weeks ago and said something has to be sorted out this minute on eden hazard when there was just no chance of it being done and he seemed very frustrated he um he then got out his laptop after the the tottenham uh carabao cup defeat and and while he sort of had a point, it was all just a little bit small time, getting out the laptop to try and prove his point was a bit odd. Then uh, on I think Friday... It's very pedantic. On Friday, he kept mentioning... He mentioned Marina granovsky in his press conference five or six times, which is never a great idea. <laughs> um, clearly trying to put the pressure on her to get deals over the line. And then this, so... It feels like frustration and everything is bubbling up with him.
3: Did he he have a point there? Because the criticisms about motivation and intensity didn't really seem to chime with that Chelsea performance to me, especially in the second half. They looked like they were trying to get back into it, trying their best. The intensity seemed to be there for me, and they had the best of it. It was a good defensive performance. I think when he's talking
1: about it, he's talking about the starts to games, because he's had problems all season, them starting games really badly, and then them having to try and come back in games, uh, which they found difficult. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have the motivation... As the main problem, I've got to say, his stubbornness, to me, is the main problem at the moment. Formation, team selection, substitutions, it's always the same substitutions. He never does anything early to try and change things.
0: It's Uh a virtual exact copy to what happened to him in Napoli. He would always complain that he didn't have the players that he wanted at certain points of the season. But uh, the president, who always comes under fire in Italy because he is crazy. But at the same time, also had a point in saying, what's the point of me buying you all these wonderful players because you're so obsessed with chemistry between certain players that you're not going to play them. Because, again, where have we seen Zappacosta, Palmieri, uh, Danny Drinkwater, Alvaro Morata? Like, why not just introduce introduce Olivier Giroud when you knew that there's no one in the box? He is so stubborn. He doesn't change his tactics. If he believes that Jorginho is going to be the best guy to play in front of a defence, he's going to stick with that come, you know, come hello high water, basically. And my issue is not just him, but it's also Chelsea's direction. You either choose, it's a case-all, it's an age old debate, you know, do you go for a philosophy or do you go for a pragmatism? And it's like they had Antonio Conte, who's the ultimate pragmatist, who believes in, you know, you give him the squad and then he tries to make it work. And that means changing formations. But he believes the problem with Conte is obviously his ego and he needs people who are always on his side. But then if you're going for someone like Sadi, then you need to provide him with every single thing that he needs to make his philosophy work. And there are just times that philosophies cannot win in certain matches and you need to be able to adapt or at least include the full squad so that you have all the weapons that you need to to win a game, but he doesn't do that. He has a philosophy, and then he only relies on the same players day in and day out.
1: The stupid thing is, is he's going on and on and on about now wanting a like-for-like replacement for Fabregas. For the only reason Fabregas left was because he never, <laughs> he never played. played him. I mean, <laughs> I think he started one Premier League game. So if he ne- really needed that like-for-like Jorginho guy to take some of the weight off the shoulders, then why hadn't he been playing Fabregas ever? Maybe and, he just wants to recreate and the and now, he want, and yeah. now he wants the club to spend like £40 million Pounds on a guy they know is coming in as a backup and will sit on the bench most of the time.
2: They've got good young players as well in the academy they could bring through.
1: Yeah, I mean Ampadu. Do.
0: He doesn't. He doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust youth as much, and he doesn't even trust his substitutions because he never included the full squad. Like many people were like, "Oh my god, how is Napoli gonna gonna cope with him?" And then they bring in Carlo Ancelotti, who played twenty one players in like the first I don't know ten games, included the full squad, competed on all everything that they were part in Champions League, the league, whatever it is, and look at the difference. And it's like Sadio just ends up. Making them so mentally exhausted. Everyone's always, you know, knowing that even if they, if that person isn't performing, even if Jorginho is passing sideways and no one, you know, he doesn't have the right players next to him to bring out the best in him, then it doesn't matter because Fabregas is never going to go and run in anyway.
3: Season started so well for them, JJ, but tactically it seems to have got a bit awry now. What's changed? Why has it stopped working?
2: Well, that's the weird thing because it hasn't changed at all. He's, like we were saying, he's very stubborn with his system, but the system has worked at different places he's been. Um, he said uh, recently that, that Conte could switch to a back three because he knew very well how to get the best out of a back three, but Sarah doesn't know that and he thinks the system works fine. This whole thing reminds me a little bit of when Liverpool when Klopp were first there and they ran out of momentum and intensity and then teams found them out and they were drawing nil-nil and getting 1-0 defeats and things like that. It's similar because that... Sari's not too much different It was a four-three-three. it's a high you know a high pressing line the fullbacks overlap and the inside forwards come inside but to win it back high up the pitch you've got to be intense tense 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 and just go 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 and win the recoveries and interceptions and uh, tackles high up the pitch they're not really doing that and of course he's got Jorginho has to play the six role in that system because he needs to keep the ball tapping around to make sure that the pass is linked. But if you move Kante back beside him, you disrupt the passing lanes and channels that you get. And then suddenly that means you've only got a number 10 higher up the pitch, which means you can't win the ball as high up the pitch as he wants to. So you have to have two eights in centre midfield that are in the half spaces, that, um, you know, just behind the, the striker, because that's how you win the ball back. So it's a bit of defending and a bit of attacking. And that's a system that he knows. He doesn't want to change it. And I didn't know, I realise he didn't play young players at Napoli so much, but players like Hudson O'Doy really when they come on make a big difference and a player like Willian uh, who is I think he's the third or fourth most chances created in the Premier League but he's he's only scored three uh, um, or assisted three I think he's scored three Scored scored three he's
1: assisted about the same as well
2: Yeah if you could bring another player in and push him what what are you going to start doing if you see a young player taking your place you're going to fire up surely
0: It's not that he doesn't believe in youth he just doesn't believe in anyone who isn't in his starting lineup because he just has this obsession with chemistry so, if he, you know, it's like if you know, Jorginho will know what passing lanes and where, uh, for example, the others will where Hazard will run into, where William will go yeah. into. So, he wants to preserve that because he thinks if they don't understand each other, then they're going to lose that connection. But what ends up happening is halfway through the season, these guys are exhausted.
2: It, it, I mean, it makes sense to me, but then the problem is, I think, that we're seeing it, is that whereas Liverpool's is highly, highly drilled, but there's a bit of freedom the players have, a bit of fluidity they can move around, Sarri's system is. Highly structured, yeah, and so rigid. there's little room for for trickery. Really, I mean, certain plays will have it. Hazard was dropping deep when he does that; he leaves the space free where he should be, and then it all falls apart. So, if everything, if everyone does their role the way Sarri needs and plays with a real high intensity, it'll work. <laughs> but they're not doing it, the, so it's not robots. The biggest yeah.
1: problem they've got as well is that as Sarri keeps saying, "Well, it took Klopp a couple of years; it took Pep a year, yeah. even in England." But the, the difference is, is after their first years. They were allowed to basically completely overhaul their squads however they wanted to. You know, Pep sold four full-backs, bought in four full-backs, brought another keeper, didn't work, brought another keeper. That's just not going to happen at Chelsea. They'll buy and sell players, but some will be club signings, some might be his players, and it's not going to be on the scale that City and Liverpool did it. So he's, not, he's just not going to be given the full set of players Which to do it. Which,
0: again, goes to why did you go for a guy who has a philosophy? Mm-hmm. Go for a pragmatist. Go for a guy who knows how to make the most out of the players he's got rather than has a philosophy and needs players for that philosophy.
3: Someone like Unai Emery, perhaps, who got an excellent performance out of his Arsenal side. Um, covered a lot of ground, took their chances. But a strange week off the pitch for them, That with uh, Sven Mislintat leaving. How
1: big a loss is he going to be? <laughs> it's hard to judge at the moment. I mean, when he came in, it was really heralded as a big coup. I mean, this guy had, had done really good work at Borussia Dortmund, albeit fallen out with everybody at Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> I mean, him and Tuchel uh, weren't talking, were they? And that seemed to be pretty much why he ended up leaving there. So there's a bit of a...
0: But Tuchel is also a prickly character. Yeah,
1: but there seems to be a bit of symmetry in, in terms of he hasn't really made relationships around Arsenal too well. Um, I mean, it's a really weird situation at Arsenal. And Jeremy Wilson, I think, wrote on this this week is that... Gazidis brought in all this change and brought in all these heads of departments and different people and then just left so and then obviously the the decisions start to change so if Gazidis was still there I'm I'm pretty sure Sven Mislintat thought if there's a technical director job coming up at Arsenal I'm the guy I'm getting it that's my my gig. Gazidis goes all of a sudden that job's kind of out to tender and Mislintat's thinking well what, what am I doing now and Managers come in who likes to be more involved in the likes to be very involved in the transfers. Clearly, Raúl Sanéli, who used to do transfers at, at Barcelona, wants to be involved. So, his role has kind of been squeezed and, and pushed out. From that point of view, it's all a bit odd because this whole period of change under the Gazeta where it looked like they knew where they're going all of a sudden feels a little bit uncertain again
2: there's not many ex Dortmund players that they can sign either now so he's run yeah. out of his
1: <laughs> yeah I mean although I mean Abamyang has been an excellent signing for yeah. them yeah. and he really pushed that through and that was a deal because of Abamyang's age because of the wages because of the fee that they'd have never previously done and he drove that and pushed it over the line it's been an excellent signing
2: You're Listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts.
3: Let's speed through the rest of the Premier League now. One Harry out for Spurs, another one saves the day at Fulham Winks in Kane not playing. Um do they have enough to cope though in in the sort of medium term without Harry Kane, JJ, and potentially missing Dele Alley for a bit as well now?
2: Yeah, they're a bit short. There's not many players in the academy that can come through. There's a young lad, I think he's 16, called Troy Parrot that can maybe come into the first team, but I mean he's 16. You can't expect anything of that. Lorente looked really short of match sharpness. I oh, mean, there I, was...
0: feel, I don't know about that. Do I felt think... really sorry for him actually.
2: Maybe, but he's not putting his his head through that ball properly. It's just a couple of things that I, I know after you've played a couple of weeks in a row. It, um, I'm talking from my experience, it's a very, very <laughs> low level. Suddenly you realize what exactly you need to do because it is different from your training or playing fives, it's just different. So you can see there were little things he was doing. He's like, ah, why am I missing this shot? I don't, I, they're not going to bring anyone in, I wouldn't have thought. It'll disrupt. And, and uh, Pochettino says he'd like to go to the academy, but. How, but
0: how many times was he gesturing to be like, put the ball here or to my feet yeah. or do this, and no one's reading anything that he's trying to say because they don't obviously play with him all the they time. They don't
2: trust him that much either. No, the
0: and they don't trust him. But if you do, he's a great backup option, and he really works hard for a team usually, wherever he's been. Obviously, he was sensational with Athletic Bilbao. But I do feel that it's a case of they don't seem to trust him. They don't seem to give him the kind of service that he needs to be as effective. It's
2: striker. probably a two-way thing, because then he starts making the runs he's supposed to. And uh, he was great at Swansea when he was getting the ball pinged to his head by Sigurdsson. But now, you, I mean, Delhi Ali was the one who turned up for the header at the back post for that goal. I don't think defenders are particularly worried about him. Delhi's yeah. injury
1: gives him a big. I thought they yeah. could cope um, for the amount of time they're new to because Son, I think, should be back. Worst case scenario, kind of February the second. Um, but uh, Delhi Alley would be a huge miss if he's out for any length of time because I had to go through this last week and his goals output goes up markedly whenever Harry Kane's out. He really does step up and mm. his position obviously changes slightly to be in the position like he was at Fulham to head that goal in. So if Dele Alley is out um, while the other two are out, I can't see where a regular goal source is going to come from then. Um, but I also don't subscribe to feeling they should just go out and get one because that could just... I don't actually see them. I don't really see who they could get. I don't see it working. I think they've just got to try and be creative, get through it. Lucas Moura's coming back. The next couple of games are going to be difficult. Once Son's back, and if Deli Alley's maybe only out for a couple of weeks, they can get through.
3: The manner of that defeat for Fulham, Mina, losing heartbreakingly at the end, is more evidence for the growing body of evidence that they're probably doomed this season. But I'm never quite sure how upset you should be about losing from a drawing position because you've only lost one point. Surely it should feel worse to draw when you've been winning because you've lost two points.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. I just think that <laughs> <laughs> I like for that. Fulham, it was just a case of, you know, usually this is a game they'd go into and lose about 5 nil, And everyone would just be like, oh, my God, they don't know how to defend. They don't know how to do anything. But this was a game in which you were like, actually, you're using the, the spaces pretty well. Uh, I thought that, you know, considering that spells can be a little bit narrow, they, they really try to exploit that and... and I don't know. I just thought that in general, you know, like um, it was Pochettino did have to adjust his tactics to Fulham to try to make sure that he can overcome them. So I think on that occasion for Fulham, it looked like they were growing and they felt like this was a, a hard fought uh, Game, really. I mean, obviously Yorente gave them that own goal in the beginning. But I really do believe that they thought this is something that we can do. This is magical. Like Maybe we can even win this. Maybe there's just going to be this moment at the very end where we can win this whole match. And instead, that they find themselves losing yet again to a Spurs side that didn't have a striker. And it, despite the fact that this is probably one of their better performances,
3: a similar stench of doom emanating from Huddersfield, unfortunately. How would you manage that from here, Matt? Do you start planning for next season and target an immediate return, or, or do you accept you're probably going to be a championship team for most of the sort of medium to long term future and just try and spend the money responsibly?
1: Well, there certainly. They're always going to spend the money responsibly. I mean, I don't know whether this is true, to be quite honest with you, but someone told me that they still don't pay anyone anywhere more than thirty grand a week at Huddersfield. So ever since they've come up, they've never gone for it. It's always just been about trying to survive if they go down while they'll be in a good position financially still. Hopefully, from their point of view, a good position to, to bounce back up. And that's kind of how they'll be looking to manage this. I mean, it amuses me, them taking the the Borussia Dortmund kind of second-team manager. That's a well <laughs> becoming a well-trodden <laughs> path now. Go and get the Borussia Dortmund second-team manager. Just anyone connected to Borussia Dortmund. The, the minute that one of those goes wrong for someone is the minute everyone stops then getting the Borussia Dortmund second-team manager. Sam Wallace told me at the weekend that there, he looked at Borussia Dortmund second-team's last game and they played in front of like 250 people. <laughs> so like it's a massive massive difference in terms of what you what you're dealing with. I think Borussia Dortmund should
3: troll the Premier League by appointing the groundsman as their yeah. assistant uh, the, the, as, the, the, as, the, as the reserve team manager and seeing
2: who can. <laughs> I think they should continue this policy of hiring people from the crowd. <laughs> the fact they're
1: doing it though and the fact they're not going for a firefighter shows that their priority is still the long term and the philosophy of that club rather than just trying to do anything to somehow magically survive this season which i think tells you how they're they're managing it they're looking at probably going down
3: as it should be i think uh the approach is correct for spending that money wisely cardiff fulham and huddersfield the bottom three mina can you see that changing
0: cardiff huddersfield and fulham no okay oh. wait is Summit it news no South i was, news. was gonna say southampton but now they're great
3: <laughs> Finally, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the greatest ever Manchester United manager, seven wins on the bounce. Is this the best of Paul Pogba now at this point, or do we think he's got even more to offer?
2: He's been great. He's just getting to play in the places he wants to play. Uh, most of United's attacks go down the left wing, which happens to be where uh, Martial is, uh, and Pogba, because he's always on the, either left of a three or just ahead of them, and he drifts over to that side. He's getting players around him. Players ahead of him are running. There is lots of options to pass. He can just do whatever he wants to do. Normally, he can be the best Pogba. He can be. <laughs> do you Great think Pogba
0: watch. is better because Rashford's better? It's the movement. Yeah, upfront. everyone's
2: better because. Or is Rashford better because Pogba's better? better? Oh, well, that's a good question. Rashford, by the way, is one of for the best us, young players in the world. He's unbelievable.
0: Rashford has always been. Everyone's always yeah. ever, since day one. The only player that I would ever take was always going to be Rashford. He
3: is a hundred percent in the AFC team of oh, the season. Isn't he's, he? just, he's,
2: he's cemented his place. This is why when they January. went for
0: Lukaku, I'm like. Yeah, forget about Lukaku you've got Rashford like this is the guy to pin all your hopes on
2: he does stuff like Ronaldo used to so he just takes on a player he just does a little trick and he's, and it works he doesn't do it to to show off really he's actually there's a real point to all the little tricks he does and then the goal he scored again this one he tucks it inside in, but it's really good balance it's hard to do that tuck it on his left foot to tuck onto his right to go back and then he manages to get it in from a, a stupid angle in the top corner.
0: But I mean it, he is lucky you're right to have Pogba. But we always said that your mid a midfielder is only ever as good as how much movement is ahead of him. And I think that nowadays what you do have is players that are moving constantly so he always has a channel to pass to and that makes him better and obviously it makes it better for the forwards.
3: How much longer does this have to go on for be- before it becomes slightly perverse for Ed Woodward not to
1: give so Soli- <laughs> a
0: job?
1: <laughs> if they get in the Champions League then it's really difficult. They will. Sure. if they do and they appoint him it's going to go wrong Sorry, <laughs> do you think so? sorry but yeah it's yep. just going to this time next year it'll all be a horror show it's going too well it's just the whole uh,
3: can I ask Chelsea why though thing. why
0: does everyone everyone says that but because what about because we're English
3: me now this is what oh. we do but Madrid got Synergy and
0: and that worked out for them
1: that but, did work it out for look them look at them now it's just the, the script is but
3: there. that's
0: because just, he left and they decided to go for a name again. Everything
1: at the moment is about him freeing players and momentum mm. when he has to actually manage a squad, manage a summer, make decisions on ins and outs. If uh, uh, Sanchez comes back, is he happy? Is he unhappy? See, I was
2: thinking this as well, but then I, I keep thinking having someone like Mike feel in there is massive. The team around him, well, is that, such that's a, a great help. point.
1: Whoever. If someone else does come in, Mike Phelan is surely just bomb-proof. People have, whoever comes in will have to keep Mike Phelan. He has Why don't to stay we just have forever. a sporting
0: director and great support system and then leave Solskjaer to just do the tactics and to manage the dressing room? Uh, Mike
1: like, Phelan's on loan as well, isn't he? The whole management team's on loan. I'm still disgusted at this.
0: <laughs> it's just stupid.
1: <laughs> but maybe we can have a whole other show on that. They should be relegated from being management
3: team. (laughs) Disgusting is a very strong
0: word there, man. Oh yeah, it is. Relegate
3: Mike Thielen immediately.
0: Audio Football Club, in association
1: with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind.
3: Shall we talk about Spygate? We didn't get round to it last week. It had happened uh, before we recorded last week's episode, but it rumbled on into a second week, the Bielsa uh, story. Whose side are you on in this story? You saw Frank Lampard this week as well, Matt. How annoyed was he about it? He's
1: angry, yeah. He is angry about it. He's... um He's not just kind of making jokes and laughing it off. He's he's not happy at all about it. I understand why. I'm on I'm on Frank's. You
3: think Leeds side be of the bush
1: that they try and spy through. <laughs> I think they should be dot points. What? I really do think they should be dot this points. This
0: isn't cheating.
1: How's it not cheating? Right. It, so this is why it's cheating for me. Okay. Derby County uh, the other day were involved in a penalty shootout. If Leeds United were involved in a penalty shootout against any opposition, they would have a enormous advantage because they would have spied on the penalty practice the day before the game and you can't tell me that's not going to have any sort of effect on the outcome of a game and the outcome of a result
2: but I think if you can get it then I mean there's a reason that certain clubs have big curtains that go around their training ground so you can't see certain bits I know Guardiola I've read that Guardiola and they have several different pitches And they'll do most of training on one, but when they do secret things like set pieces or anything that would be identifiable on the day, they do behind... I've got a
1: personal story about this. We've got time. Yes.
0: No, but before you get to personal story, can I just attack your penalty claim? No. Uh, (laughs) In Euro 20... When was it? 2012? It was England-Italy, right, for the penalty shootout? Correct. And it was Hart versus Buffon. And Hart said that he'd stayed up all night studying all the Italians, watched all the videos, knew exactly what they were going to do. But you hadn't
1: seen their training session the day before the game.
0: Okay, fine. I'll take that. But but, Budge, they asked Buffon if he had done any studying, and he said, "Uh, no, what am I supposed to? And there was huge outrage in Italy. Oh, my God, we're so unprepared yet again. This is the English. We can't lose to the English in penalties, even though blah, blah, blah. So what happens, okay, it's the last kick of the game. I don't remember it was... Who it was, one of the players who used to play for West Ham, I forgot his, his name, the Italian. And no, he, no, no, no um, that was the terrible Diomonte? one. Diamante? That's it, yeah. And he was, um, I don't think that's how you say it. Oh,
2: <laughs> right, oh, <Diomonte. all> right. <laughs> Diamante.
0: And, and obviously, he always shoots with a particular foot, yeah, which again now is, is way past my uh, head because I don't even remember the player's name. And because he knew Hart had studied for it, he went with the other foot because he knows that they'd been spied upon. They know that they, their training had now been something that England understood. So he went the other way because that shocked Hart, who was prepared for him to do one thing. And actually, it worked out for Italy and they ended up qualifying and going through when it, England was knocked out because they'd actually done their homework.
1: But coming back onto England-Italy is when we played Italy in the 2010 World Cup, mm-hmm. Um after about five minutes, England realised that Italy knew all of their set pieces <laughs> and it caused them a massive, massive problem. And they subsequently found out that Italy had spied on their last training session.
0: Because we do this all the time in Italy. <laughs> so, double
1: bluffs. I, I mean, I've got a, a very personal story on this. I once, when Jose Mourinho, uh, it was his meltdown season at Chelsea, I got off the train at Cobham and Stoke d'Avenoon. I walked up the platform at the steps and at the top of the steps, um, looks over one of their training pictures. I get up to the top of the steps. There's a guy at the top of the steps um, dressed in sort of full Chelsea regalia, clearly a fan of Chelsea, and he's, he's just watching. He's clearly watching the training session. And I just said to him, anything interesting? And he said, yeah, um, Mourinho set them all up. I think I know the whole team for the, for the next match. They are playing Maribor in the Champions League. I said, oh, yeah, anything interesting? He said, yeah, he's changing the whole team. So I said, go on, then tell me the, the players. And so he, he went me down what he thought the players were. I went off, made a couple of calls uh, to try and verify whether a few of these were correct, and they were. So in the next day's paper, I named the entire Chelsea team that Mourinho would be playing, which was 11 changes from his last team. Uh, It was correct. Mourinho, even though they they beat Maribor easily, Mourinho went mad. The next press conference was his press conference where he said there were rats in his dressing room, and he also blamed several (laughs) different people at the club for telling me the team when they hadn't. I actually felt guilty and rang the press office and said, "This is what happened. Tell Mourinho." And the next time we got there, they'd put up a, a basically like a bedsheet so that nobody at the top of the Stoke uh, to wrap the, you in <laughs> the, the train station can go and look over. There you go. Wow, ruining the landscape in Surrey, Matt. Yeah, I, I think I was me and that lad were potentially responsible for the, the Rats press conference. You set it all in motion. You've ruined Manchester United. But announces. I still think it's terrible what Bielsa did. And that it's they I, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. And the I press conference as well was... So funny. What did you learn from his The PowerPoint press conference entry? was bollocks.
0: Yeah, tell us what you learned. Beat me
1: for the bollocks, but the press conference was bollocks because it was all diversionary. It was all, look at this, aren't I wonderful, forget about the fact I've done something.
0: That's I thought
2: he was taking a piss out of, te- of the all the journalists that were there. I thought, uh, that's why Mike took from it. because he must showing off about having a scout login. Yeah, every single club has that. Like You go through Wisecouts, same thing. Every club does that. Although, from stuff I've read from various other managers, autobiographies, read too many, they say that often they refer to Bielsa and say that he does do an ungodly amount of analysis. Like it's there's no need for half of it, but he does it because, as he says, it eases his anxiety. Guardiola even said the other day, "I keep talking to Guardiola all the time. I don't, I need to I stop know, it. You it I often. don't. And I just I've just read so much about. He uh, uh, You only had 40 minutes for the first mention of Guardiola. Congratulations, relations have won the JJ sweeps <laughs> whoop! But well, he said it's unique. That, uh, so Bielsa says in the world, it is unique how he works."
0: God I do if Guardiola said it but can I just say uh, <laughs> well your precious
2: Nadine Zidane actually there's a little video going around of him standing in awe like a little boy looking at like when hero. he wins the
0: Champions League again with a team that doesn't have Messi then we'll talk okay so I wanted to talk about the drone as well do you remember the drone in it in uh, Bundesliga when Hoffenheim basically had complained because they found a drone over their training um <laughs> when they were doing training and it turned out to be Werder Bremen who had sent out this little drone to spy on their training and everyone was just like oh sorry if it unnerved you they released a Twitter, Twitter message that said oh yes it was our drone and uh, apologies there but they were obviously spying
2: that's why Gatwick shut down it was Matt trying to steal the Chelsea team <laughs> <laughs> again
3: <laughs> let us finish by talking again about Maurizio Sarri who said that the Chelsea players were difficult to motivate and I want to know AFC teammates your novel methods to get Chelsea going again. Our good friends on Twitter had this to say. Arjun said, uh, his message to Maurizio Sarri, resign. The only time Chelsea look unbeatable is when they are in between managers or hate the current one. Uh, (laughs) Alastair Campbell, not that one, said, I would imagine if Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte and Maurizio Sarri have struggled with this group of players, the people of Twitter won't have any better ideas. Very sensible man. Mm. Finally, Noobs says drop players that don't turn up instead of playing them week in, week out, expecting different results. Yes, Noobs. JJ, what have you got?
2: Quite like Noobs' point there. Play some of the academy players. I thought what they could do is hire an ex-club legend, preferably Norwegian, so Tori Andre Flo can come in and... He's already there. Nice. Galvanising... Uh, really? Broach. He works
1: for the club. He works for the academy. That's so right. he's, he's there to do it if you want Promote him to do him. it. Uh, well, I want him to do it. Yeah, well, I think he manages the under-18s, so... It's all there for you, JJ. Okay. Well, there you go. See, I've sold it. You're one step ahead. Mina?
0: I think you can just say to them, if you really try hard, then you're allowed to leave the club next season.
1: Because
3: it just <laughs> seems to be that's what everyone wants
0: to do. <laughs> Hazard can get to Real Madrid and Morata can get to Atletico.
1: Having stood next to him uh, on Saturday, I would say that <laughs> unless you all play well, you will have to sit in a smoking room with me until <laughs> I'm finished
3: a wonderful set of answers and uh, I think we've solved Chelsea congratulations everyone that's all for this week you can contact me on Twitter before next time it's at Tom with an H Gibbs don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast as well. Just search for AFC Telegraph wherever you get your podcasts. Audio Football Club will also get you there. You can send us an email too if you've got that in your mind as something you want to do. Podcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the best of what you send us. This is the current standard to be. Greetings from Cambodia. My name is Ole Holzemeier. I am a banker here in Cambodia. I have a very important business proposal which will benefit both of us. Please contact me at your earliest if you're interested for more details. I'm sure you're listening, Ollie. will be in touch. Thanks very much to Joel Grove on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.